0: Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. John chapter 14, verse 21. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Jesus wants us to love Him with our whole hearts. And of course, as Anglicans, we know that well because we hear the great, com- the great commandment, the summary of the law as part of our every liturgy, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart. That's right there at the beginning. Um, and I think while we are, we are inclined to sort of accidentally uh, interpret that chiefly about our affections, right? That like in our heart that we would have kind of those warm affectionate feelings for God. And I don't want to discount that. That's Absolutely part of loving God, right? It's something we hope that we would have towards God the way we'd hope to have them uh, in any good relationship uh, that is loving. It's just that um, that's not the end of love, right? Love is also more than that. Um, And it can be hard to gauge one's feelings, and feelings, like the experience of feelings, can come and go. There's a much more sure uh, insight into what is really in our hearts according to. Jesus according to the Scriptures, and that answer is, well, what are our actions doing? right? Our actions actually reveal really what's going on in our hearts. right? That We know the sort of biblical picture that reveals to ourselves that we are divided like spirit and flesh at war because we do different actions. One moment I'm being loving and the next moment I'm being selfish. Right? Our actions reveal the war of spirit and flesh. Our actions reveal our hearts to us. And so that's what Jesus is saying. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Right? The way you could know that you are loving God is the, the, the only actually sort of litmus test he gives us is, well, are, are you keeping his commandments, right? Um, feelings will come and go, are you keeping his commandments? Um, the first thing I want to unpack about this is that it puts to rest Uh, a misreading of the Bible right? that would say that under the Old Covenant, God was really interested in commandments and commandment keeping, but under the New Covenant, well, that's not the case. I think we sometimes falsely misread the Bible in that way. Um, Jesus is absolutely pointing us to the keeping of the commandments. But that isn't, of course, to say that the Old Covenant and the New Covenant are the same. There's a handful of crucial differences. Um, The first is actually a surprise. Did you know that um, there are actually more command verbs, more commands of like do this, avoid this, flee this, in the New Testament than in the Old. Um, the rabbis famously cataloged 613 um, commands. Some were prohibitive, some were you know do this. Um, in the New Testament, there's actually a thousand and fifty. Right? So there's actually more command things. Um, but this isn't to say. Uh, this is not to say that the New Covenant is somehow just sort of the Old Covenant on steroids, right? It's actually fundamentally taken the Old Covenant and turned it inside out in a couple different ways. The first way is that the covenant, the commandments have been sort of boiled down. And I love the pairing. I hope, I hope you caught it. I actually want to go glance at it. In the first John, I love when you get to see um, the characters of the Gospel records elsewhere in the New Testament to kind of connect the dots. So when you see Peter writing something in his letter and connect it, just like jesus said to him in right as recorded in the gospel same thing with with saint john inspired by the spirit he wrote the gospel that we heard from and inspired by the spirit he wrote this letter to the church and you can actually hear in his letter the echo of the the thing that he had heard from jesus right the loving god and keeping his commandments that was right there in the epistle and in a way you could even say that first john three is sort of a, a really good sermon on the thing that jesus teaches about keeping God's commandments. Because you would say, well, well, which commandment, right? What commandments did Jesus give us? John presents it to us very plainly, verse 23. This is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he commanded us. But that's the commandment of Jesus boiled down in a nutshell. Um, so what we have here is sort of this wonderful juxtaposition that the, the sort of first part of the commandment Is faith, right? Believe in the Lord Jesus. Which then, fundamentally, then we've sort of gotten into great biblical territory that cuts the knife through any sort of false um, competition between faith and works, right? We're commanded to have faith, right? Obedience to the commandment means have faith in Jesus. Kind of turns works and faith, and then the whole Bible, the whole New Covenant message is just—it's important to get those in the right order, right? Works aren't going to save you. Faith will save you. And if you have faith, it will lead to works just to get them in the right order. Moreover, all of the commandment keeping in the Old Covenant, um, it only partially attended to sort of the need we have in light of our sins. And it didn't at all attend to the need we have about dying, right? You could, if if in, some ultra, in some sort of imaginary universe, You could keep all of the commandments of the Old Testament, which is impossible, right, in itself. But even if you could, you're still gonna die when you're eighty or ninety. Right? Keeping the commandments never solved the problem of death. And there were sins that you could fall into that the old covenant command keeping would have no remedy for. Like if you murdered someone under the old covenant, there was no sacrifice that was like, well then, you know, for some things, like let's say You'd, you know, had uh, violated the Sabbath, you could then go take a bull and sacrifice it and have that sin temporarily atoned for. If you murdered someone, there was no sacrifice for that. There was just this sin problem. In fact, there was actually a civil penalty. You'd be executed for murder. So the old covenant law keeping, it only attended to sin in part, and it didn't tend to death at all. Under the new covenant, right there actually now is a sacrifice even for the sin of murder and any of the worst sins we could do. Right? We actually have a sacrifice. We actually have um, the sin problem fully remedied. We've already been forgiven by the blood of Jesus. And we've had the death problem remedied. Before, there was no hope of resurrection. Now, because Jesus has been raised from the dead, the great theme of Easter, we have hope that we're going to die and go to the, into the ground, but then Jesus is going to raise us from the dead. So we put all this together. What we see is that um, commandment-keeping takes on a whole different character. Before it was trying to sort of appease what we could in light of what we knew about God under the old covenant. It was trying to earn a right relationship with God, which now you don't have to earn, because it's already been given to us, right? It's already been given to you and to me, because of Jesus, we, are, we already have the favor of God. We aren't trying to earn it by obedience. And that, that's the fundamental shift when Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep your commandments be 100% clear. He's not saying, if you keep my commandments, I'll love you. He's saying, I already love you. And if you want to love me back, the way to show it is keep the commandments. Do you see how fundamentally different that is? Mm -hmm. Like not trying to earn anything with it. It's the response of love. But I think our flesh would love to have the response of love be like, great, I just don't need to worry about commandments at all now. But that's not what Jesus calls us to. He calls us to show our love by keeping the commandments. And if we do that, um, I love that this happens all the time in these middle chapters of John, doesn't it? Where sort of there's these like layers of folding love, like he, he, Jesus says, if we show our love for Him in keeping the commandments, He who loves me will be loved by my Father, right? because the Father loves the Son, and He would therefore love those who love His Son, and and then Jesus says, and I will love Him, so we ha- we kind of get in- invited into this mystery of Trinitarian love, the Father loving the Son the Son loving the Father, us being kind of swept up into that life of God's own divine love. And the result of being swept up into this love concludes in the verse, um, and I will manifest myself to him. And as I was sitting on this for this week, I think this is a great promise that we should hold on to, to actually want, Lord, I want you to manifest yourself to me. Right? He said that that's what he'll do if we live a life of loving response, keeping His commandments, that He will manifest Himself to us. Because I've, I've picked up that sort of in the, the way in which Christians talk about the Christian life in Christian magazines or radio or whatever, and I'm sure you've heard this too, folks, some folks who've been disappointed that they hope they'd have this sort of mystical existential experience with God, because their hope was disappointed, they then teach, well, we set the, the, the goal too high. Like, we shouldn't have thought that we could have that deep mystical encounter with the risen Jesus. And this and then so out of the disappointment kind of lower the expectation of what a relationship with Jesus could be like. Um I think that's the wrong move. I think we're to hold out for Jesus manifesting himself to us. That's what he says. I will manifest myself to him. Um I was curious, I heard, saw this word manifest, and I was like, oh I wonder if it's the word Epiphany, right, in the Greek. So I looked it up and it's not the word epiphany. Um, and at first I was bummed about that. I was like, ah, oh, that would have been a cool time. But then I realized, but then I looked at it and the word, so epiphany is from epiphany. The word here is emphany. And so fany, it just means shining, right? So an epiphany is a shining on. The word here is a shining in. And I was like, oh, that's even kind of cooler, right? Because tra- only a few people got to be there on the Mount of Transfiguration. All Christians can hope for an emphany, a, a shining in the heart. Right, of the, an experience, of a real experience of Jesus, um, deeper than just the, the, what the eyes can see. Um, you'll notice, um, perhaps, that this is actually the culmination of our vision statement as a church, that if you look at that back poster back there, um, after keeping the ancient faith, cultivating patterns of prayer, practicing hospitality, the sort of final word that the Vestry and myself think that we're called to sort of um, focus on as a parish is knowing the Lord Jesus intimately, that that's actually the end hope of the Christian life is to know God. Um, And I wonder, um, so for some of you, well, I think, actually, I think no matter where we're at in our sort of different stages of our own Christian journeys, I think there's always like an experience that we still yet hope to have of the realness of Jesus and to hold on to that longing. And that's actually a spirit place longing. Yeah, I actually, I hear other people talk about this real relationship with Jesus. I want, I want my faith to, have, to, to be as real as, it is, as I hear it is for that person, right, or in this arena of my life. A real experiential relationship. I think it's important to say that um, the Bible isn't here giving us a formula, like some sort of plug and play, like if you keep the commandments, He'll love you and you'll get the manifestation, right? So then that would breed like this sort of Phariseeism, right? Of like, well, I'm going to keep all the rules and, okay, where's my manifestation, right? Where's Jesus? Um, it's, not a, it's not a plug and play. It's a principle um, by which we avail ourselves of, the manifesta- of Jesus manifesting himself to us. This is a fine point, so I want to use a word picture. Um, think about uh, if you were trying to get to Atlanta and you put Atlanta into your GPS, uh, and you're driving. If you ignored every prompt of the GPS, like turn right to left, and you're like, no, I'm not going to go right. I'm going to go left. It would seem to be kind of foolish to then like grumble that you're not in Atlanta at the end, right? You'd be like, well, you didn't follow the commands. Like the GPS was telling you how to get to Atlanta, and you didn't go that way. So you can you can, and I think this is sometimes the case that we think. I sometimes hear. Um, in that group that would, set, that would set, sort of complain like, well, where's the real Christian experience of the risen Lord as, as I was told would happen? But there's been no attention to sort of like yielding one's heart and life into obedience and submission to Christ. It's like, well, you didn't follow the GPS. Of course you're not in Atlanta. Um, but at the same time, just because I put it, something in my GPS doesn't mean like I know exactly when I'm gonna get there, right? There's other factors beyond my control, right? You might hit traffic or, uh, well, that would be the one thing in the word picture. You might hear traffic, and so you don't know exactly what time you would get there, but eventually you're gonna get to Atlanta. Um, I think it's the same thing in the Christian life. We're, if we keep his commandments out of love for him, not to earn his favor, but out of love, eventually he will manifest himself to us. That's the promise of John fourteen twenty one. Love him, keep his commandments, and he'll manifest himself to us. And so we wait for that manifestation. So just to kind of tease all this together, um, in a sort of sequence, if we want to know him intimately, the, our mission statement. We can't make that happen. He has to manifest himself to us, and he does that out of love. When as we love him, and the way that we show that we love him, is by keeping his commandments. So it's not a plug and play. It's not a prescription. And I think, you know, I actually think so much of um, romantic life is revelatory of our relationship with God, I, for you married couples, I wonder if you've had this experience I have of thinking, oh, it's like a plug-and-play formula. Oh, I'll like, take care of the kids and cook a nice dinner, and then Carrie's going to be really happy. And it's like, no, because we're treating people like a machine, right? We're not machines. We are not plug plug-and-play like that. We're people. We, we relate. The same thing with God. It's not like God didn't give us some new, some just old covenant, old covenant on steroids, like, do these things and this will happen. No, no. Do these things, there's an invitation to do these things. Keep the commandments a- and see what happens, right? In real relationship that we can't manipulate, he will manifest himself to us. So that's kind of the last thing I want to leave for you with is, as you hear this verse about whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. To be very clear that this is not a new legalism. It's not a, it's not a new Judaism. That was, the new, the new Testament speaks against that all the time. It's an invitation. All right, so here it is. So be, consider yourselves invited. You are now free to keep his commandments. You're invited to keep his commandments, to believe in him, to love him, and the 1,050 variations that the New Testament points out, what that love really looks like. Amen.